0: Inside sources. Inside sources. Inside sources. Inside sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community on KSL News Radio, one hundred two point seven FM and eleven sixty AM. With all the news happening recently, it's easy to forget that rising crime continues to be on the minds of so many Americans. It's a huge motivating factor for voters across the country, uh, which is really a major change from just a, a couple of years ago. But the question then becomes, and the thing that we need to think again about, is we often hear of the need for criminal justice reform. Is there still space for that? How do we get reforms without letting criminals off the hook? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day. Think again. Well, getting with the uh, the balance and the uh, the way we think again about all of this, Sarah Anderson is the R Street Institute's Associate Director for Criminal Justice and Civil Liberties and uh, joins us on the line. Sarah, thanks for jumping on with us today. And as we look at this whole idea of criminal justice reform, we've talked a lot about that over the course of the last several years. Uh, but with this increase in crime, uh, Do we need more or less when it comes to criminal justice reform?
1: Hi, Boyd. Thanks so much for having me on. And I would say absolutely we need more criminal justice reform because, as you well know, the full goal of criminal justice reform is a better functioning justice system that ensures public safety. And with the 30 percent increase in homicide offenses um, that we know occurred between 2019 and 2020, we need more focus on public safety, and that's exactly what real criminal justice reform will do.
0: Yeah, and so let's, let's dig into that just a, a little bit, Sarah, as uh, we think about that, because I think that's hard for some of, uh, some of us to wrap our heads around in terms of having sure. more of that reform. But, but let's start with just like the juvenile uh, side of this, because I think that's often a, a space, uh, especially in minority communities, where there seems to be more of a trap rather than how do we actually do this to, keep the public more safe and to make sure we keep uh, people not just behind bars, but in their communities where they're needed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the term that comes to mind obviously is the school to prison pipeline. And what are we doing to ensure that our youth are able to succeed in their communities, succeed in their everyday lives. And too frequently, just one simple interaction, one negative interaction with the criminal justice system, whether that's with a police officer Um, or a juvenile who goes through the juvenile court process, it entangles them in the system. And so the more we're able to, on the front end, divert uh, juveniles who've made a mistake, obviously as adults we make mistakes in our lives every day, think back to when you're a kid, and it's very common that, uh, you know, children have missteps. Um, And the question becomes, how do we address this misstep in the way that best protects public safety and doesn't just entrap a child into the carceral cycle, Um, that then they're more likely to become a more uh, frequent offender as an adult simply due to the stigma associated with being a juvenile delinquent. Um, So when we're looking at juvenile justice reform, primarily at the Art Street Institute, our research focuses around how can we smartly have interactions between law enforcement and juveniles that more often than not, when we're able to completely divert a juvenile from the system entirely, Um, and find alternative ways to hold them accountable and get their life back on the right track.
0: Ah, So important. And then uh, I wanted to dive into an area that I I think we're all struggling to figure out, and that is uh, helping those who either have mental health issues or substance abuse disorders. Uh, How does the criminal justice system fit into that? And again, how does that help us lead towards safer communities?
1: Right. Um, a, A pretty staggering statistic, I think, is that um, about 20% of all law enforcement response calls are going to people having a mental health crisis. And oftentimes, and this doesn't take rocket science to think about, if you have somebody who's going through a mental health crisis and they see an armed law enforcement officer show up, even if that officer doesn't do anything uh, you know, to escalate the situation, it contributes to the mental stress of the situation for that individual and can create a situation where it becomes escalated by no fault of either party. Um, so what we've done research around at our Street is the, the use of diversion models on the front end, um, whether that's a program known as LEAD, which is uh, present in cities across the country, or co-responder models, um, which pairs an expert mental health clinician with a law enforcement officer to go to response scenes um, and ensure that the correct person is showing up to address the, the correct issue. Um, that alone, just addressing the nature of the interaction between the individual or the individual uh, who's being called for, um, and law enforcement or the response team um, can really just help de-escalate situations or prevent them from escalating at all. And it's likely, it's very frequent that the escalation of the situation is what leads to actual criminal activity in areas that otherwise would not be criminal at all. So um, certainly those types of pro responder models, community responder models, um, and lead programs do help responses to folks who just need help.
0: Yeah, so important. And uh, and I want to dig in now to uh, we talked about kind of the, the school to prison path for some of uh, our juveniles. Uh, But then we also have this similar revolving door for so many in and out. And uh, sometimes it seems that we're sending people to prison to learn how to become better criminals. uh, And they seem to be in that revolving door. Uh, What can we do? We know there are places like Delancey Street. Uh, We have the Other Side Academy Mm -hmm. here in the state of Utah who are really trying to break that cycle. Uh, What else is out there in terms of that kind of reform uh, to, again, again, get people back into communities where they're needed?
1: Right. I think, well, it starts in something we often say is that rehabilitation and reentry starts the first day you become involved with the criminal justice system. And it's a question of not only when you're going through the sentencing process, do you feel respected and like you are still a human, even though you have made what may be a grave mistake? While you're incarcerated, do you have access to programming and job training that will help you succeed on the back end? Um, but I think perhaps the most important thing that we can do to aid reentry is look at what Utah did back in 2019, um, following on the footsteps of what Pennsylvania did in 2018, which is um, implement automatic expungement and record sealing laws, colloquially known as clean-slate laws, um, that allow an individual who's who has a criminal record to prove over a certain number of years it varies by state. I believe Utah's is uh, between five and seven years of crime-free uh, upon completion of its full sentence um, that then would allow low-level records to be cleared or sealed, uh, but for obviously national security reasons or certain um, jobs would be able to access inside the government um, your criminal background. But it just allows people to really have a clean slate and a fresh start in their life where a criminal record doesn't follow them for the rest of their life, whether it's trying to get a job, whether it's trying to open a bank account, whether it's trying to access housing or education, all of these barriers that are put up by a criminal record can really be alleviated through clean slate laws and smart record sealing and expungement. Um, and we've seen massive success with that across the country, Utah included. So I think that's um, really where the, where the attention should turn.
0: And then final question for you, Sarah, is there anything else on the horizon or anything else that you're tracking specifically there at R Street Institute in terms of criminal justice reform that you think can play a, a part of the solution?
1: yeah absolutely um the The statistic I keep going back to um in terms of policing is that we know that officers spend only about four percent of their time working and responding to violent crime nationwide um, and that's a number that I believe should pretty much be flipped when we're looking at the increase in homicide um, and voters' concern about violent crime um so what we're focusing on at the r street Institute is expanding um like I was talking about earlier, co-responder models, policing models that prioritize public safety and prioritize officer resources and time. Um, President Biden signed an executive order a couple of weeks ago um, regarding policing and exactly that. But as we know, policing is largely local. There's about 100,000 federal law enforcement officers and about 600,000 state and local law enforcement officers. So definitely encouraging states and localities to look at um, some of the reforms that have been successful across the country in criminal justice reform that prioritizes public safety and values officer time and values officer resources to address what we know 78 percent of voters are concerned about, which is the increase in violent crime.
0: Uh, Great insight as always. Sarah Anderson with R Street Institute. Uh, She's the Associate Director for Criminal Justice and Civil Liberties. Uh, Sarah, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Boyd. Great to be with
0: you. Uh, again, that's, this is an area that we have to really just step back and think again. And, and even faced with this increased crime, I agree with Sarah that I think we need more, not less, criminal justice reform to actually get to that right balance. And it is one of those where these are not competing principles these are complementary principles that you can do that kind of reform and actually help people get the right outcomes because the outcome is to make sure that people have the skills and the ability to get back into society especially because we need so many of these who have been in and out of the the system we need them to be contributing members to families to neighborhoods and to communities and that means we've got to look at criminal justice in just a little different way. It's time to think again. We'll be right back. Think again. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio.